Welcome back. This is News Friday, Fiumo's authoritative news analysis platform. My guest, Samuel Abujinapo, MP, Damongo, and Minister Lands and Natural Resources. He left us a while ago. Inusa Fuseni is former Minister Lands and Natural Resources. He's a lawyer. He's here in the studio. Martin Pebu is a rights activist and a lawyer. He's here in the studio. And Bright Simmons is a man on Zoom joining us now to give his take. He's Honorary Vice President of Imani Africa. And after when Bright is done, I am asking Martin and Inusa um, Fuseni, who are lawyers, to share their views on why the process appears to have been led by the Forestry Commission when there's a lands commission, which is sort of the custodian, the state institution responsible for such processes. And that question is guided by uh, some information suggesting that um, there, were, there were people within the lands commission who uh, sort of declined when these matters come up, came up and they were being asked to uh, do the bidding of, of as it were, um, the, the president or whoever was commanding them to do what they needed to do. And some of them stood their grounds and even at the risk of their jobs. And then it led to the Forestry Commission rather being the one taking the lead in granting leases over state lands. Uh, something people say is unusual. Uh, okay, so Brights, let's hear you. Thank you very much, Samson. So with your permission, I just want to go through a few slides uh, because the, the kind of things I want to say, they are held by the illustrations on the screen. Excellent. Is that allowed? Excellent. Okay, thank you. So um, I think the, the, the minister's general posture has been that um, the government has been very transparent and um, everything that is done has been in the public interest. So we have been reviewing the documents um, that um, impinge on this matter uh, very carefully at Imani. And we found some really worrying developments that appears to suggest that there is a kind of grand conspiracy at multiple levels in the bureaucracy, at the political level, um, to you know, play a game. And the game is that whenever the government wants to take some of these, well, I won't say the government, politicians want to take some of these prime lands, what they do is that because they know that there is a ga um, ethnic, ethno-political um, sentiment around lands being taken uh, or lands that were previously owned by traditional authorities and families in, 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 Accra, in the Accra area being given to business people and to corporations, because they know that sentiment is quite strong, they will also con uh, concurrently give some of the land back to so-called pre-acquisition owners. So it's like a, an interesting game they play. And, you know, while, of course, it's going to be very difficult to prove this without a commission of inquiry that people like you are, are, are suggesting, when we look at the trajectory of events as they've unfolded and some of the explanations that have been proffered, you will begin to suspect, as I do, that there's something really fishy going on here. So let me just focus on two, in the beginning, two um, misconceptions that I think have been carefully engineered into the public uh, mindset in order to reduce anxiety about what has happened. And this is a very serious problem. 
The first is the position around how much of the Achimota forest has actually been declassified, because that is an important point. Mm. The suggestion has been that it was just a small part of the land. They've used the term peripheral. Mm. Over 40%. And in that, well, it's more. So here is very, it's very interesting, and I'll come to that shortly. Whoa. But let's start off with some <laughs> of the major um, forest belts or green belts, um, natural reserves that are close to Accra, and let's look at something very interesting. So this one is the Guaku uh, area in Pukiasi, near Pukiasi. And you see that from 1990 to present, um, the degree to which the built up um, of that natural environment has mm. proceeded mm. is very substantial. Yeah. Maybe nearly 50% of what is supposed to be a reserve has been built up. Yeah. And I'm making this because I'm building up to a point. So 1990, you can see that most of the land is green. This uses various geospatial techniques in a composite fashion to describe it. And by the time we get to 2015, uh, a good chunk of that land has been built up. The built up is the reddish brownish that you see. Right. This is Shy Hills. While uh, this is an important caveat because what has happened in Shy Hills is not largely uh, building up or encroachment, as we like to call it. Uh, but primarily natural factors and poor management of the reserve. So you see that a lot of the land in the Shy Hills area has become herb and grass, but not necessarily built up. Built up is the reddish, the brownish is the herb and grass, okay. and then we have some substantial amounts remaining. So this is an example of a situation where it's not politicians damaging the land, and so you see the effect is very different. It's not built up necessarily because Shy is still very much um, a distance, quite a distance away from Accra compared to Pukuyaste and the one that we are interested in, Achimota. So that's mm. building up a point as to how different uh, forest reserves, depending on how close they are to prime land, tends to get targeted. Mm. And then you get to Achimota. And the fascinating thing about Achimota situation is that, contrary to the arguments that tend to be made, which is that, oh, you don't have to you know, worry about these uh, Achimota anymore because the forest is already gone. Most of it has already been taken by encroachers. So what are we even talking about? Actually, Achimota has been doing very well, at least until 2015. You can see that the built-up area of the parts of Achimota that has been classified as a forest as far back as 1930, that part of it, we haven't seen uh, that significant degree of build-up as we've seen in, say, Kuagu in, in, in Pukwase. Mm. So that's an important point. In fact, only about 27% um, of the forest area has been built up in the almost 100 years of its existence. And that builds up, or rather lays the foundation for the critical argument. If for almost 100 years, we've managed, despite all our challenges, to keep uh, something in the degree of about 73% of the forest relatively unscathed, unscathed, then it's quite surprising that classification has now put us at the greatest peril, or at least put the forest at its greatest peril since it was created. So let's look at the the uh, executive instrument very carefully because I think most people have, under, have misread it. The way that the forest, the E1154 uh, is crafted is that it starts off by giving you a history, a, you know, a rough idea of what the size of the forest was in 1927, uh, when the, sorry, 1930, when the order was made. And then it suggests that because um, the former president intends to make a part of it as an ecotourism park, and a part of it is to be given back to the old family. For that reason, 
as we need to now leave a segment as the forest reserve. But it's a very interesting point. So what he's suggesting is that the eco reserve part shouldn't be a forest reserve. And what is being given to the old family shouldn't be a forest reserve either. What that leaves you is with a schedule. So he says the remaining portion of the land in the schedule should remain as a forest reserve. So it is the schedule that you need to look at carefully mm. to understand which proportion of the original is actually still a forest reserve. Mm. And I think many people have missed it. Mm. I was directly assumed that only the land being given to the whole family is the land that has been declassified. That's not correct. So you look at the, you know, the next page of the, of the instrument and you see clearly that it's the land specified to the schedule that is going to remain the forest reserve. So what is that land? It says clearly that that land specified in the schedule is 372.75 acres. 70%. And you now go back to the original area as recognized by the instrument itself, and you do a subtraction to see which part has actually been declassified. And when you do that map, it's a very simple arithmetic. It's really simple arithmetic. 70% of the forest is gone. But I've, all that I've been, following the, I've been following the calculation, that estimation that only over a little over 40% is gone. No, it's not correct. 70%. review systematically step by step. Read year one, uh, EI 154 very carefully. It states certain actions are going to be performed in the area previously designated the forest reserve. However, the remaining part of it will be, a, the remainder will be a forest reserve. And then in doing so, it tells you, go to the schedule to find out the real area that will remain as the forest reserve. When you do that math, it's 70% is gone. The mm. majority of the forest reserve is gone. Uh, by your understanding, is the Echo Park project still uh, in the books? I think the, the NPP does not subscribe to it. Well, it is? In the, I showed you in the, in, the, in the, what do you call it, in the, in the yeah. instrument, clearly, is when, when they give you the recital size this, I mean, you are the lawyer, right? If they give you recitals out this, they give you the context. Right. So he says that following a petition submitted to the office of the president, which gave executive approval for the conversion of a portion to an ecotourism facility, and then a release of the peripheral forest plus the whole family. So he's giving you a context of what is no longer going to be a forest reserve. And he says that he's satisfied that the remaining portion of the land should be a forest reserve. And he says it's in the schedule. The land specified in the schedule to this instrument is declared to remain a forest reserve. Now, when you go to that schedule, you see the land that actually remains as a, uh, a forest reserve, and that is a 372 acres. So when you take that 372 acres from the original that the government itself believes should be the span of the forest reserve based on 1930 order, and we have some slight disagreements, but I'll get there, it leads you to the conclusion that 70% of the land has been declassified. That I sincerely not, hope, I sincerely hope that this is inaccurate. No, 70% is gone. Instrument, as I, as I speak, you can start reading it. You come to the same conclusion, Samson, I'll show you. Yeah. So, that so, so as, Martin, as Martin is saying, as Martin is saying, Bright, the Echo Park uh, project is part of the 70%. Yeah. But that is not how it's, 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 it's drafted. Read it carefully. That's it's drafted that the person that should remain is in the schedule. And then right. when you go into the schedule, it indicates what area of land is in the schedule. So there's no other interpretation of the instrument other than what I have done. So take your time, read it while I, I speak, and you come to the same conclusion. The land that is remaining as a forest reserve is in the schedule. Oh, no. And the land in the schedule is 372.75 acres. If you take that out of the original, you get to 70% of the forest gone. That's the first area. Uh, the first uh, misconception that we need to clear in the public. And I hope that 
in the public inquiry and all of those things, we wouldn't continue to have that misconception because we keep having it. The, it tells you that we spend about 100 years to get about 27% encroachment. And now with one fell swoop of the pen, we're going to desecrate 70%. That's not acceptable. That's really, really dangerous. It's not acceptable because the Atimota Forest is an international union of, uh, for conservation of nature classified seven area. So in category seven, you have primarily focused on agriculture, forestry, and tourism. Not residential development, not commercial development, not malls, not any of this stuff about the central business district plan that uh, was being touted in 2008. None of that stuff is really allowed if we are going to be observant of our IUCN obligations. And Ghana is typically observant of its international obligations. Usually things like hunting, you know, and gathering hunting licenses, being able to take, let's say, wild honey from the forest, um, let's say, sustainable harvesting of some types of wood species. Those are the type of things you do in a forest reserve. Ecotourism. So you put in some nice restaurants, well-balanced and harmonized with the, eco with the ecosystem. That is the kind of activity that people that want land in that area should be co covenanted to do. And most of the things that we've seen happen when they've released the land, even though it's a forest reserve, it's illegal because it's not in compliance both with our own domestic legislation and international norms to which we subscribe. That's the first uh, major um, confusion that we have to clear. The second confusion, and this one requires really detailed analysis, uh, but it's a very simple point. Most people argue that in 1921, the government of Ghana acquired land, which it used for Ashmata School. And then in 1927, it acquired another portion of land, which it used for the forest. That's the, not really true if you look at the historical record carefully. But the instruments, that, the, the instruments we are being referred to are to the effect that that is actually the fact. No, because we read, we read them carefully, and it's not, a, it's not the case. So if you, actually, what I found fascinating is that the same people that signed the agreement with the Kufour government, John uh, Niu and Oliver Pateou, also issued a press release um, a decade ago in which they completely corroborated what we've discovered by carefully reading the record all the way to when the title was signed by the then Chief Justice of Ghana, uh, Crampton, I think was his name, um, they concede that when that particular um, land was acquired in 1971, it was 1,906, 639 acres. Keep that in mind very carefully because the analysis that follows depend on accepting that fact. The old family themselves, in an advertiser's announcement, confirmed that uh, the Gazette number 106, the land that was acquired for which the year following the, the, the next year, 4,000 pounds was paid on the recommendation of the Solicitor General. That land was 1,906 acres. And if you go to any of the people that actually have been following these matters, the people that have been fighting in court, etc., you review the records and the rest of it, all of them concede to this, that it's 1,906 acres. That's what was acquired. If you accept that 1,906 acres was what was acquired, then a lot of the misconception in the public, so a lot of people talk about the fact that, oh, Gimpa was in the forest reserve, oh, Christian village is in the forest reserve. Oh, it's not true. Just actually do the geospatial analysis. The land that was acquired is the part that you have blue encircled, you know, where you have the blue mark around. Mm. It includes the forest reserve. You see that at the left corner, there's a diagonal cut. That diagonal cut 
I'll come back to that in towards the end of the presentation. That diagonal cut is what the government took for the Abilimpe area when it was doing Tema motorway yeah. uh, projects. Yeah. That area. Mm. But apart from that, most of the forest remains. And then you have a Chimota school, which is the part that is light green. The deep green is the forest. You will see that Gimpa has been more or less taken out from that in, uh, in that kind of analysis. Mm. And then Christian Village was not even anywhere near. Joe Co were not in. Joe Co, I'll come back to that again, came about primarily when they, they decided to do the motorway and therefore that part of the forest was declassified. So that is an important point. So let's start with this 1,906 acres as the total land acquired in 1921. If you accept that fact, and Chimota School, what was it that the government, when it decided to vest the lands in the Chimota School Council, what was it that invested in the school council? Ajiman and others will tell you, those who have actually done careful analysis because they have been in litigation, the rest of it, that it was 1,080 acres. That's about roughly 1,000 acres that was given to Achimota. That was what was vested in Achimota. And almost all the Achimota development, including the golf course, the police station, all the stuff that people usually talk about, is in that 1,000 acres. The remainder... 800 and something acres, which is slightly less than the 900 and whatever because of the Abilimpi area and the Bufu area as well, some parts of Abufu. That part is the forest. So unless you can prove that somehow this 1,900 and whatever acres was not sufficient and somehow some additional land had to be brought before you were able to get to the 1,000 plus 800, it doesn't make sense. What really happened though is that there were additional administrative actions separate from the acquisition. That happened in 1927, 1930, 1931, and continued to happen. There were different uh, acquisitions of this for Gimpa, for this, for that, that. And those, even the golf course, those administrative actions are not original acquisition or do not in any way alter the original acquisition. The original acquisition was 1,906 acres, and this is proven because the old families have conceded in the advertised announcement as I've just demonstrated. Mm. So it's not correct then that we first took some land for Achimota and then we to did another acquisition. What happened rather was that we've made title, we created titles in 27 to cover the forest. Mm. As we done with the initial, there was initially one title, it, and then we broke that title. Is, is it implied therein that uh, compensation was paid for the full um, acquisition then? Indeed. That's why I said there seems to have been some kind of grand conspiracy, because I don't understand how in 2008, John Yowu and Oliver Kwateowu we signed an agreement with the government suggesting that they were not paid compensation for that other land. And then two years later, when the new government changed, we're having difficulties, political difficulties. They now conceded that the 1,906 acres that was um, released in 2021, the 4,000 pounds of compensation covered it. It, mm. it doesn't add up. So clearly, because these documents are usually not public, people go in and they negotiate these things with bureaucrats and politicians, mm -hmm. and they come and say something else in public. Mm -hmm. But the key point I'm trying to make is that the 1906 uh, acres acquired in 1921 is what we paid the 4,000 pounds compensation for. And okay. you can check the records um, in terms of the receipt that was signed by the government side. So it was the chief justice and the chief registrar on the government side that signed. And then the letters from the Solicitor General in respect of registration in December 1921, which was acknowledged by the chief uh, justice. Hmm. So that's critical. I think of the challenge has been the loose way in which we use the word. I've even heard people, very knowledgeable people, say that Achimota School is inside Achimota Forest. That's not correct, as I've just demonstrated. Part of that confusion, the naming convention confusions, persists in things like 
Atwater Forest residential area. Because you hear that, you go like, oh, but we've been selling this thing for a long time uh, uh, for residential areas, and it creates confusion. Even if you go to the land um, uh, commission and you go into their software, so this is research done for the last two decades by uh, University of Leeds experts who have been trying to understand Ghana's geospatial capabilities. And they find that they describe the Joluabofu, Abelin Pay, those, you know, parts of those areas that were taken in 1965 when we we're doing Teramoto Way. They describe them as Atumata Forest residential area. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people assume, oh, okay, that was because we declassified the forest and we made it um, out of the, uh, the whatever. And that is also why when the court's judgment came in the favor of platinum properties, of course, we were hiding behind the whole family, but everybody knew it was Dumpy, it was platinum equity and platinum properties that were behind the whole agitation for uh, Achimota lands. When they won the first court judgment, the high court judgment, and they went into Achimota, they first went into the forest to try and get the land, the 170 acres or so that was given to them by the court. And then the forestry commission said, no, 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 no. Then go look at your special analysis properly. It's got nothing to do with the forest. The land that you won was in uh, Achimota school lands. And then they had to go back into Achimota school lands. Luckily, the courts later reversed themselves. And I think in 1920, um, sorry, 2020, the Supreme Court was seized with the matter. My last point, give me just mm. three minutes. And that is the historical issue because that is also very important. Not as important as the Confucians that have bedeviled the conversation, but nevertheless, the past important. The way that when you listen to people um, speak, they present this is that, you know, you have this very rich merchant in the night, in the 1800s, um, because of robber trade, he became so rich. So I'm, I'm calling this out of the, the Hutchinson records. And uh, because he made so much money from the robber trade, he bought some land in, in, the, in the late 1800s. And then when he died, his estate signed a, a deal with the government and um, the government um, um, then acquired the land in 1921. They make it very simple. And they make the old family seem like a, a homogeneous entity that you are, it's easy to transact with. It's not. And that's very important because who we are giving the land back to is not as simple as who we took the land from. And that is such a critical philosophical point that's been lost in the debate. When you are taking something from someone, whoever has control can give it away. And often it's in the moment. You can check whoever has control. When a hundred years has passed and I want to give the land back, a whole new thinking to arise. And I was playing to you with another analogy which will make it even clearer. First of all, as families grow, they branch out. And then the descendants become quite uh, uh, numerous. So you have a situation where in the, in the in 1921, the old family was already fragmented. And I'll come back to that in a moment. So it was a quite a big family. And then you take 100 years and you say, what is the old family today? It's several branches. And some of those branches are in conflict with each other. So at the very least, I would say there are about 2,000 O's who have some claim to that land. If you are dealing with some O's, there must be a process that established that they are truly representative of the interests of the descendants. At least the, the trunk and stem descendants. Mm. When I do our genealogical research at Imani, when we do our genealogical research, we find out that some of the family members are not even in Ghana anymore. Some are based in the US, some are based in the UK. In fact, George uh, William, sorry, William George Boy Tekoi, Boy, Boy, uh, Boy um, that is a son of uh, George Owu went to Oxford, and then from there, from what we understand, he went to the U.S. and, and built a family in the U.S. as well. There are families in, in the U.K. You don't do this type of reparation, and I'll come back to that point. It's very important. Mm -hmm. What we are doing is reparation or restitution, an assumption that the colonial authorities somehow didn't treat some people fairly. Mm -hmm. And because of that we, have, that, we have a duty of fairness to make them whole again. 
So it's restitution, it's reparation. When you are doing that, you have to ask yourself who is the right and eligible beneficiary of this program. That's what is happening in California now, where they've agreed to do reparations for people that were slaves or whose ancestors were slaves. They had to set up a commission. They have to agree on who will qualify. There has to be a mechanism for who to register as members of the old family and you resolve it. The reason why I say that the conflict in the old family affects the decision of how we determine who is the old family is because as far back as the 1930s, the old family were already in conflict about what really is the old family. Hmm. This is the famous Fixen Owu versus Robert uh, Owu matter. Robert hmm. Owu was the other person beside George Owu who signed on behalf of the family. And in, in the 1930s, when, um, no, sorry, in the 1940s, what happened was that there was a new head of the old family who was Fixen Owu. And then he sued Robert O. And in the course of it, he died and somebody had to step in, 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 in instead. But the principle that was established was that the, even though the George O. had willed certain properties that belonged to the O. family to his uh, 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 or successors, he did not have the right. That was what the West African Court of uh, 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 the West African Court determined in that in those proceedings that he did not have the right, and therefore the family land somehow must be reflected in a communal arrangement. And any attempt to alienate the family land in the fashion that it has been done was illegal. So that is very important. More important than that, we also know that beyond you know the general fragmentation of the party in the conflict, the part, the family is now in three branches: the Cortes, the um, um, the Ous, and the Dounos. And in some respects, the Dounos is properly speaking the the, the old royal family that we keep talking about because we had a Rusumanche who was a Dounou. In principle, the arguments that the Dona Owu family has been making for quite a while now, here's another announcement that they made, which you can check yourself, where they clearly establish that this so-called Owu family in the way that it's been constructed, is not so monolith, because their ancestor, Yiju Owu, is the one that gave George Owu the right to go and enter negotiation with the, with the government. But it was not necessary that Dodo was the head of the family at that time, etc. In simple terms, we have major disputes within what constitutes or what most people would say is the old family about what really is the old family. There are members and there are branches that don't agree with the standard. So who is the government dealing with? Because what happened in 1921 is not what is happening today, given the fact that there are now branches and fragmentation and multiple claimants, including some that insist that if you take the Okuwe family, the other family that signed, it's not just the old family. People always forget that. There were two major families that were mentioned in that position. The Okuwe, which is part of uh, Gagbese Kolikwe, you know, if you go to Gagbesi, mm. that, that is where the Ukuwe people, they, 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 they operate. And the Besi Manche, in that regard, ought to be in these proceedings because um, the Ukuwe family that was in 1921 are part of Besi. So you cannot make those, and then what about the, the Donos, for instance, who, as I've mentioned, have a claim because they have documents that prove that when this man died without uh, a children, died interstate, what's the name, and uh, knew the first, it was actually the Douno Owu family that carried on with its legacy. Mm. All of these conflicts cannot be resolved by simply making assumptions, right? right. These matters must be done properly. And we know because we have a major analogy mm. in the case of Holocaust survivors. I, I did I did, I did I did a matter, I did a, a land matter with the Achimota uh, school lands in mm -hmm. 2011, and mm -hmm. it was the Okuwe family that exactly. was represented as those who had, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, because it's on. complicated. Mm. And I'm saying that, take the, let me give you one minute, last minute, and let me explain with this, um, the, the, the Holocaust matter. 
in the 1940s, actually starting in 1933 onwards, the Nazi German government in Germany decided to alienate many Jews of their property. First of all, they asked them to go and register if it's above a certain number of rich marks. And huge amounts of art, gold, land, etc., were taken from the Jews. In fact, by today's calculation, about $200 billion was taken from the Jews. After the Germans lost the war, the Luxembourg Treaty was signed, a range of other uh, treaties were signed. The question that arose then was, what was the best way to return that, what, that which was taken illegally and, and, and unlawfully in the 1930s and 1940s back to the descendants? Even though there was a treaty, a lot of work has gone on, there are genealogical researches, et cetera, to make sure that the right people are, you know, uh, receive the, 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 the return, the reparations, we still have to set up a new set of global norms in 20, 2009 called the terrorism principles about how to do these reparations properly. Even so, even so, there's still serious fraud in Holocaust reparations management today. Despite all those systems, people still find ways to create some phantom group that claim they were uh, Jews that were dispossessed and, mm. and collect some of these reparations money. And then we have a situation where in Ghana, we don't even have a legal base for what we are doing, properly speaking. Mm. There's been no proper reparations committee. There is no registry. We don't know who gets, gets given the land. They use this old family as if it's some mythical structure that immediately then assumes there's fairness. What are the women in the old family? And, why, and in, why, and why does nobody ever hear about them? And in all the processes, uh, Bright, what I find also curious is that you don't get, as you normally get, attorney general's advice. All these things are yes. done at the level yes. of ministry and the commissions. Attorney general, yes. who should have some of these documentation, is not the one that is being asked to give advice on these things. No, because they are not done actually transparently. The first thing you want to do in any reparations or institution program is that some people were harmed in 1921. That's a starting point. Somehow the colonial authorities took some property from some people. They didn't compensate them properly, etc. And those people have suffered as a result of it. So we want to give them back. If that is the case, you have to understand the level of destitution in the old family. Who are the poor people in the old family? Who we are blessing with this return of the lands? From what we've seen so far, it appears that it's well to do members of the old family not even the Okue family and other you know, branches of the, fam of the Owu family itself, but it's always been a few people in the Owu, Owu family that we hear about. The question is, who benefits? How are we making sure that even if we are actually being rep reparations and restitution, it is going to the people in the Owu family who mm. have actually suffered from that decision taken in 1921? There's no basis. Mm. There's been very little attempt to be transparent about the matter. I have heard people in, uh, uh, praise the minister for his release because he was very transparent. I, I beg to differ. I don't think there was any transparency in that document at all. If you look at it very carefully, it doesn't still tell you who in the whole family is getting this and eventually will get all of these. When you look at the amount of land that has been given out, it's about $400 million. That, that's, that's, that's an instructive point. Who in the whole family? Who in the whole family? $400 million, my brother. Who is going to benefit from this $400 million in total assets? Yeah. We know platinum equities and others have been in, at the forefront of this, funding some of the litigation and the rest of it. Yeah. And if they are giving back land to the rich, if that is the whole purpose of this, what is the basis of the fairness? What is the basis of the propriety? What is the base of the patriotism and the nationalism that undergird any of this activity that has been going on? In so we really, we need to stop this pretense. That what is happening is justifiable with you know how many cases were changed when and then all of that stuff is completely immoral and unacceptable mm. until we set up a proper reparations committee for anybody that feels that they were offended or harmed their family interests were harmed by colonial powers to make proper claims 
we have a transparent website where you can go and check those claims. You can see who is making these allegations and the, and the like. And people can also present documents. When we are taking lands, if you take the state lands act, there's about seven or so uh, 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 legal instruments which we use to do this uh, eminent domain and acquisition, compulsory acquisition practice. When you are actually about to declare that you you know you are declaring a forest reserve or you are compulsory acquiring, it sets out a number of things you have to do. Traditional authorities have to be informed. You have to publish three times in the newspaper. You have to gazette. You have to do all of these things for transparency. Then when you are giving it back, you don't do any of these things until the executive instrument leaks. And then there's an uproar, and then you rather act offended. I don't get it. What was the basis of doing this on the quiet? Why was there no only attempt made to ask people whether or not they felt that they also had claims that had been extinguished and whether or not they needed reparations and restitution given? Why was there no attempt at any transparency at all? How was all this done on the quiet until the EI leaked and then the government was scrambling to issue statement? And many share, and many share in Bryce Simmons' um, suspicion uh, there. That's the, an excellent presentation, I must say, by all standards. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that um, there will be no investigative process that will not reference uh, the presentation that Bryce Simmons has made uh, this morning on Newsfile. We'll take a quick break mm -hmm. and return to uh, continue to finish up with our discussion. That is if we can actually finish up because there is the other, the other leg of what has been revealed in the will of the man who was supposed to provide protection uh, that many say was rather grabbing for himself acres of lands that are not supposed to 